0: If you guys want to go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians, we're continuing our study through the book of Colossians, and it's been a good study so far. You know, we've seen uh, just a picture so far of Christ, uh, excuse me of Paul and his um, his prayer. Sorry, his uh, his thankfulness for these believers. Uh, we've seen about how they're faithful in Christ. And in Colossae, they're located in two particular spheres, a physical sphere, just like we all are. We're located in where we live. We're also in Christ. Our union with Christ is of tremendous importance for us. We'll be in union with Christ for all eternity. We've also looked at Colossians. We've looked about how Paul is thankful for them, how uh, he's thankful for their faith and their continued growth in their faith of Christ Jesus. He's also thankful for their love for each other, and they they live this life based on the hope that they have. Right? That that's something we've talked about in the past. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter one verses nine through oh yeah, thank you nine through uh, fourteen this morning. Um, so the question I, I I want to ask all of you guys as you're thinking about uh, just your daily lives is. Do you pray? Right? Do you pray? And I'm not talking about, Lord, bless this food as we're getting ready to eat. I'm talking about real, regular, responsive prayer to God. It's, it's interesting. I'm um, a student of history, and I was reading uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, has a great comment that she made about John Knox, and she says that, I fear John Knox's prayers more than all the armies of my enemies. Will, would somebody say that about you and your prayer life? I had the privilege of knowing a great man of prayer in seminary. His name was Dr. James Roskop or Jim Roskop. And during my time in seminary, my wife was a receptionist in the seminary office. So I was up in the offices a lot. And at one of those particular times I was up there waiting for my wife. Dr. Roscop comes up the stairs, walks in the office, and he just says, you know, how are you guys doing? And, and he says, well, you know, how can I, how can I pray for you? And I said, well, you know, I could use some prayer in regards to our finances. Uh, you know, the stories about seminary students being poor is true. You know, we're, we, we, uh, we, we sacrifice a lot to go through seminary, and we were struggling a bit financially. And I asked, uh, I asked, I said, well, you know, if you can pray for us in that area, we'd really appreciate it. And he said, all right, I will. And then time went on, and about uh, three months later, I, I passed by Dr. Roskop in one of the hallways, and he kind of stopped me, and he said, he said, Chad, how are your finances? I, you know, I've been praying for you every day about your finances. And I, I just looked at him, and I was stunned, because I don't know if I've been praying every day about my finances, you know, in that particular area. It was just, just a, the picture of a godly man. He would make a note in his, in his notebook, and he had a huge notebook, and he would, he would make time to pray for people, especially if he asked you, could he pray for you? He was going to pray for you. And I just thought, what a great picture of prayer, and what a great example for me. It really, it really humbled me, and it the really, uh, Lord used it greatly to kind of change my thoughts about prayer, about uh, keeping a notebook and praying for people regularly and just spending time on my knees before the Lord. Um, so I ask you the question again, you know, do you pray? Do you pray regularly? Do you pray for just your own family and friends? Do you pray for people that you, you don't even know very well? Because what we're going to be looking at this morning is we're going to look looking at Paul's prayer for <laughs> believers he didn't really know. He'd never met them. He'd only heard about them through Epaphras. And so I've titled this sermon this morning, How to Pray for Someone That You Don't Know. Right? We hear times of uh, visiting missionaries, and they come and they say, hey, please pray, pray for us. We meet other believers and other churches or across the world, we hear of situations. And, well, how can we pray for those believers when we don't even really know specifically what's going on in their lives? One of the things that uh, I did when I started candidating here at, at New community Church and started praying about you know coming here is this the Lord's will is I started praying for you guys and I started praying specifically this prayer in Colossians because I didn't know you right i didn't I didn't know you know any of you right I didn't know your needs i didn't know anything that I could pray specifically about. But I prayed this prayer for you. And my, my prayer for you, and I, my hope for you, is as we get through this sermon, as we go through this lesson in this particular text, is that you will have some principles that you can use to pray for people that you don't know. And like any prayer, when we pray to God, it filters through our own hearts first. Right? If you're praying for someone in a particular area, you can't help but thinking about yourself first. And so my prayer is, and, and this is Paul's spe- specific um, example and a specific um, goal in mind as well, is as he has written down this prayer that these believers would understand not only what they should be praying for others, but they should really interact with this in, in their own uh, hearts. So where are we looking at this morning? We're going to look at two points. We're going to be looking at no, Paul's prayer for them. He prays that they would know God's will and how it applies to their life. And they would live in a way that pleases the Lord. Two things. So let's go ahead and look at the text and then we'll dig into it this morning. Verse 9 of chapter 1 of Colossians. For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you would walk in a manner pleasing. Sorry, excuse me, what in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the the first point this morning that Paul makes is he said he wants these believers to know God's will and how it applies to their lives. Look down in verse 9. He said, "...for this reason, since the day we have heard of it, and he's heard of it through Epaphras, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding." Now before we dig into the content, I want you just to point out really quick, I want you to see that Paul prayed, what? He prayed in an unceasing way. The word here in the Greek is absolutely not ceasing. In other words, he had a regular time of prayer for these believers. Now think about this, Paul was under house arrest, right? It wasn't the, the prison in the dungeon. He was able to receive visitors and he received a papyrus. He heard of this particular church Paul made a regular pattern of his life to pray for these believers. Now, Paul had a lot going on, right? There was many churches he could have been praying for. But he made it a point of praying for these believers. You could just imagine, you know, what is Paul doing for all that time in prison, all that time in Hacerest? Well, he's writing, meeting people, and he's praying. Now, well, it would be great to see when we get to heaven just how many hours of every day that the Apostle Paul dedicated to praying for the churches that he was concerned about. And he says he didn't cease, that he and Timothy had a regular prayer life. It doesn't mean they prayed every minute of every day. The idea is a, a regular, continual prayer, right? But we sacrifice the time for what we really want, right? Paul sacrificed the time for, for the big goal in mind, right? You think about going on holiday, right we we all like to go on holidays, and the the bigger the better. well, what do we sacrifice for that holiday? right? We work harder, a lot of times we'll sacrifice time. we sacrifice maybe that daily cup of cup of coffee or tea you know from a from a local shop. We'll sacrifice uh we'll, we'll sacrifice our energy, right, because we want to go on this holiday, right? We have this big goal in mind, and we we're working towards that big goal, and we'll sacrifice for what we want, right. I knew a guy, uh, every, day, or every Sunday afternoon, he would spend from about 1 o'clock p.m. to about 6 o'clock p.m. That was his time of watching gridiron, watching footy, right? He loved to do it, and he would sacrifice his time for what he wanted to do. So really the application for us is, is do we sacrifice our time for regular interaction with God not only bringing our own desires to God and asking God for help personally, but, but do we pray for others? And what a challenge that is. You think of all, like I said before, all the, all the things that the Apostle Paul could have been praying about. All the other churches that he had been involved with, and he never met these believers. He only heard about them, but yet he was spending regular time in prayer for them. Now let's dig in a little bit to the, the content of the Apostle's Prayer. He says that, first of all, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and understanding. The word here for filled has to do with a ship ready for a voyage. Right? If, you're, if you're Columbus and you have your three ships, you're going to be sailing across the whole Atlantic Ocean looking for new land, you better be sure that you're going to fill that thing to the brim with fresh water and food and supplies. Historians actually tell us that he was actually starving by the time they hit the West Indies. That if they hadn't hit the West Indies, they wouldn't have made it. They were already starving by that time. But you better be sure that that ship is going to be filled to the brim. Whereas the idea also of like, I've taken a jar and you're filling the water to the very tip top. Like any movement is going to cause that water to, to overflow. So he wants them to be, be completely satisfied and have no more room in their life for anything that is contrary to the will of God. He wants them to know God's will to the point that, that they, are, they are dominated and controlled by God's will. Ephesians 5.18 said, We're filled with the Spirit rather than do not be drunk with wine. The idea in that particular passage, we allow the Spirit to dominate our life. Not allow anything else to control us. So we're filled with knowledge of God's will. We understand what God's will is for our lives and we seek to live our lives based on that knowledge. We're dominated and we're controlled by our knowledge of God's will. I love to go fishing with my, my dad and we used to fish in the Pemlico Sound. The Sound is like an inland estuary. Has very many. It uh, can be up to 10 to 20 miles wide. It's about 80 miles long. It was great because you could catch uh, saltwater fish in a protected area like a lake. We used to catch these fish called croakers, and they were a, a type of drum fish. And we, we I remember in a particular time we we caught so many we hit a bed of them. We filled the cooler to the brim. Right? We put some water in there so they will survive you're closing the 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 lid and the, they're barely staying home There's so many fish in there and the The thing about this croaker is they make this croaking sound this loud croaker. It's like a bullfrog it's the loudest' well, the loudest fish there are and there's this cooler's just jumping around, and we're just excited. We have this cooler filled to the brim with these croakers can't, can't as a kid I'm in there with my dad I can't wait to get home and, and show my mom not only this fish that makes this crazy wild noise, but also you call this we call tons of them right. There's no room left in that cooler. Well, that's the idea here. Paul wants you to be filled with God's, God's will. There's no room left in your life for anything that's contrary to the will of God. So he prays that you'd be, you'd be filled with God's will. And he says it's, it's a deeper knowledge. So when you're filled with the knowledge of your will, it's not only a, a, just a, a cursory knowledge of God's will, but it's a deep understanding of God's will as revealed in His Word. You know we we make God's will out to be kind of a mystical thing at times. I've heard people I wish, used to work in college ministry, and, and I hear these college students say, "Oh, I want to know God's will for my life." And they say, well, what what do you know to be God's will? You know what's what's God's will from what does what does word tell you his will is? and and we, we can know God's will. In Scripture, we know that we're to be saved, second peter three nine, not willing that anyone should perish, but all to come to repentance. We're to be spirit-filled. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We're to be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. We're to be submissive. 1 Peter 2 says, submit yourself to every human institution for the Lord's sake. Suffering. We suffer. 1 Peter four nineteen, according to the will of God. Right? We, we give thanks. In everything, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians five eighteen. Right? Even Romans 12 says that we, we be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can discern the will of God. Right? So the will of God is not a magical, mystical entity that we have to, you know, just try to figure out. God has revealed his will to us, the general will for our lives. Now, the question I still would get is, okay, well, should I marry this girl? Or should I marry this guy? Right? Well, my question would obviously be, well, first of all, is he a believer? Paul says, if they're in the Lord, marry who you want, right? And then the second question is the obvious questions, and this is where wisdom comes in, as we'll get to a little bit. But you know, do you like them? Do they like you? Do you get along? Right? Is this the one you want to spend your life with? If it's a, if it's a guy, can she submit to your leadership? So a girl, can can you submit to this guy? Does he lead you in holiness, right? Are you attracted to each other? All right. Do. you? Do you have a have a good relationship? Is it is it honoring to the Lord? Is it leading towards holiness? All right, that's good. All right, then say I do. Right? It, it's it's God's will. God leads us and he, he guides us in a specific way, step by step in that process. Right? He doesn't tell us every little thing He wants us to do. It's interesting. I was talking to Ryan yesterday as we were driving around, and he and I just said, Well, did you did you know you wanted to work with computers? when you were in high school? And he said, no, I, he said, I just, I started studying and I got good grades. And then after high, then after high school, he said, I got, a, got an internship and that internship led to something else and, and that led to something else. And now I am where I am, right? We knew the future in the sense, think how bored we would be, right? What would be any excitement to life if we, if we knew exactly a year from now, we're going to be doing this, this, and this. Plus, would we actually develop relationships and when we actually go through the motions or where we just kind of have a fatalistic idea? So, we're we're to have a knowledge of God's will, but to understand God's will, you have to know His Word. The principles of God's Word, the knowledge of His will, govern our lives. But He doesn't just stop there. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and specifically in all wisdom, spiritual wisdom, excuse me, and understanding. Spiritual wisdom has to do with insight into the true nature of things. It's the the ability to take the general will of God and to look at actions in terms of their results, right? We pray in James that for wisdom from the Lord, it's an understanding of how to apply the general principles of the Christian life to your life specifically. So you say, all right, well, should I buy this car, right? Well, Proverbs is replete with wisdom, about how us going into great debt causes us to be enslaved to that master. He who holds debt over us holds us enslaved, right? You, you lack freedom if you have a heavy weight of debt on yourselves. You know, Proverbs talks about how we should, um, we should use financial wisdom in our lives when it comes to not only debt, but it comes on to denying ourselves, do, are we, if we're going to buy his car, do is it something that we can afford? Are we, are we just going after our own desires? Are we mortgaging everything we, we could possibly have now? And even what we have in the future for something that we just are so desirous of, so lusting after. And so those are taking the general will of God. Well, the we, general will is we to be sanctified. right? We're to love God above everything else. Well, then we start saying, all right, well, how do I apply that general will to my life? That's wisdom. Right? I, one of the things I heard about wisdom is that um, wisdom is knowing that the tomato is a fruit. Do you know it's a fruit, by the way? It's not a vegetable. The tomato is a fruit, right? That's, that's, that's knowledge, right? We know it's, not a, you know it's a fruit. Well, wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad, right? So you take the general principles and you, you apply it to life. So spiritual wisdom, it's a, it's a wisdom that comes from God. And I remember when I was a young man, one of the things I prayed for the Lord specifically, based off of what James teaches us, is I was praying for wisdom. You know, when, we, when we grow a lot, um, really quick, we tend to become prideful. And we lack the wisdom in how to treat people. We lack the wisdom in how to, how to live our lives. And so I prayed that God would grant me wisdom. And, and the, God in His grace did. How, did I, how do I interact with people in a wise way? under under the umbrella of God's will and that's where your interaction comes right comes interaction comes with the lord interaction comes with other people as you as you study the word of god so you have god's god's will for your life that you'd be sanctified to be more like christ and then you have the 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 application of those principles right Well, then he only continues from there. He says, look, not only do I want you to have knowledge of God's will and wisdom, but he wants you to have understanding. So understanding is discernment in specific situations. So if you can imagine an upside-down pyramid, right? So you have God's will, then you have wisdom. How do you you live your life based on God's will? And then you have the discernment, the, the spiritual understanding, to apply it to very specific situations, right? The idea for understanding is like two rivers coming together, Right? Right, you have kind of knowledge and wisdom coming together in understanding. It's it's discernment in those specific situations. It goes back to like, should I buy this car? Should I should I marry this girl or marry this guy? It's taking the the general will. Right? God wants me to be sanctified. Christ wants me sanctified to be like Him. We know that's God's will, right? Okay. Well, the the scriptures say, well, this person should be a believer. Well, then I'm, I'm looking at wisdom. You know, you look Proverbs thirty one woman. Well, that's, that was written, by the way, that was written to a man, Proverbs 31, not to a lady. It's biblical principles for a guy looking for uh, the mom for his son to look for a wife. So we take those principles and say, all right, well, this is, this is the ideal of a, of a godly woman. Well, you, you see, and then you say, all right, well, that's the ideal. That's the wisdom. So, so how does that apply to my specific situation? Well, does this a lady I'm thinking about marrying, right, does, does she match up in this area? Right? Or, or ladies, the, the guy, is he a, is he this a, a spiritual leader, right? The qualifications for elders are to be imitated by other godly men in the church. These are the qualifications for elders and deacons. Right? We're to be examples. You want to know if a guy is godly? Look at those qualifications for an elder and a deacon. right? So, so you take the, the general will and you, you're bringing it down to your own life in a very specific way situation right so what a prayer right when you're praying for someone when Paul's praying for these believers and he says look I want you to know the to to, to know the knowledge of God's will and all understanding I want you to know God's will and how it applies to your life in a specific way so that you may live to honor the Lord right so when you're praying for other people that's a prayer you can pray for them I just pray, Lord, that they would understand God's word. They would understand your will, and then they would know how to live it out. Right? And that goes to Paul's second point in just a second. Because knowledge on its own will always puff you up. We will always become prideful. Right? I think about my early years in in Bible college. I think I've relayed this to you before. You know, that we we used to call those guys that. they they lacked wisdom and they lacked some sense and they would just launch into people and we called them bazookas. You know, they would just load the bazooka and just fire and they would just blow people away, not caring who or what they destroyed. We used to call those guys bazookas. And we and, and my buddy and I kind of we, we kind of coined that term because we we knew we were like that at one time. It was only by God's grace, you know, through through learning humility and learning wisdom that we realized, you know what, we, we we're being bazookas. We're just blowing people away without any thought about who they are and, and any care for them individually. Right? Truth on its own, just without love, it's just pride. Right? So that's what we can pray for believers. They would know God's will and how it applies to our lives. Or how it applies to their lives. So you can see how this filters through your own self. As Paul has said, look, I'm praying for this for you. He's, he's thinking about his own life, and then these believers—they're reading this, and you can tell they hey, well, God's—he's praying for this for me. Well, then I need to live a life that honors the Lord, and that brings us to the second point. Second point is the rest of this whole section is verses ten through fourteen. He first of all, and he says, "Look," he says, "I want you to be to understand God's will and how it applies to your life, so that verse ten that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects." Now we've talked about. Walking worthy before when we talked about Ephesians 4. It's kind of the same idea of your daily conduct should give equal weight to the fact that you've been saved. All the work that Christ has done in your life, your life should equal that. Now, obviously we know that's not possible, and, that, and that's the idea. Christ has done so much for us that our lives can never make up for that. Our lives can never equal His sacrifice, Right? doesn't mean we don't try. In other words, we live a life to please Him based on the fact of what He's done. We can never bring those in into balance, right? But the idea is that we still try, we still live a life to please Him. And he goes even further, he said, not only do you walk worthy of the Lord, and the Lord's the standard by which that, that life, that conduct is measured, but we do it in a, with an attitude that is willing to do anything. Right? The, the word here in Greek for pleasing Him has to do with a, a person that is uh, a subservient to a benefactor. And they'll do anything in their power to please that person. So we're doing anything in our lives to please our Lord. So for us, when, when we live our lives, we, do, we, do we appreciate the great sacrifice of Christ? Is our life worthy of Christ. Do we we take the knowledge that we've gained of God's will and do we live our lives in in honor of Him, to try to please Him? We don't want to stand before Him when Christ looks at our life at the beam of judgment seat and be ashamed for how we lived as a believer. Now, when we we go stand before the Lord, we're we're not being judged from a standpoint of Alright, you're a believer or you're not a believer. You're either a hell or heaven. But there's a reward for us. It's called the bema judgment seat in which we'll stand before Christ and our lives will be examined to see how we lived our lives on this earth. So do we live a life in a way that honors the Lord? Right? Like for my wife, for my wife, for example. Look, my wife... She has a very specific taste to what she likes in curtains and, and colors in the house. And the Bible said the Bible talks about the woman being in charge of the home. And I'm letting her her have her her home the way she likes it, right? She wants blue curtains. Praise the Lord! I'm going to give her blue curtains, right? She wants gray paint. I'm going to give her gray paint, right? You live with your wife in an understanding way, right? Because I love her. I want to please her, and I don't only begrudgingly. Right? We got married. We were, we were well, right before we get married, we were signing up. We were registering for like uh, Denby Plates. They're a really nice British company of, of, of serving plates. And I liked the blue ones. They were blue and they had blue. And my wife was like, no, no, I like the blue ones with the brown. I didn't really like those that much. Um, but you know what? I said, all right, honey, that's what you want. That's what we're going to get. And we signed up for that. Right? I pleased my wife. Right? We live our lives to please the Lord. Right? We, we do it in a way that honors Him. And the great thing here, and this is the great thing about Scripture, is God doesn't call us to do something. He doesn't, he doesn't either inform us or empower us to do. Right? So not only does Paul say, hey, look, you need, I'm praying for you that you would know God's will and how to apply to your life. But, and then he says, look, I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him. But then he tells them, look, this is how it's done. And that's found in verses 10 through 14. He says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, first of all, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. Right? John talks about how God is glorified when we bear fruit. Right? It's, it has to do with our, our union and communion with Him as with Christ as, as Christ is producing Christ's likeness in our life. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is what is produced by the Holy Spirit. When we yield ourselves to to God, He produces what? Christ-likeness in our lives. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's, it's looking like Christ. Gentleness and patience and self-control. right? All those things, we look like Christ. And the great thing about the fruit of the Spirit, there's often a misconception when you think about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, in, especially in Galatians, it's one fruit in the singular. Right? I've had somebody say to me one time, oh, well, you know, I'm pretty gentle, but Lord isn't really working on me on patience right now. You know, I'm not very patient. Well, it's one fruit. There's many different aspects to that fruit. So in other words, you're growing in all of them. Right? It's not that God says, all right, Peter, today we're going to work on patience. Tomorrow's going to be gentleness. Then after that, it's going to be self-control. No, no. They're all aspects of what it means to look like Christ. And it's God working in your life. So he says, look, a worthy walk is you looking like Christ, is you bearing fruit in all the good deeds that you do. And a good deed is simply something that is done in the Spirit. He's actually contrast this and he says in Colossians 1:21 he says that when you were uh when you were an unbeliever you were engaged in evil deeds. So the, the contrast is when, when everything we do as an unbeliever is an evil deed. Because it's all done with selfishness in our hearts, sinful motives, right? It's contaminated by our our sin. Every altruistic thing that we do is still contaminated. For example, how many how many uh, you go to uni. This is a good example. You go to, like, uni. How many buildings are named after people? Right? Somebody gave quite a bit of money in an altruistic way, and they got their name on a on a plaque on the building. Or they got the building named after themselves. Right? So everything we do as an unbeliever is still, is still tainted by our selfishness, our sin, their evil deeds. But as a believer, we, we bear fruit, we, we look more and more like Christ... And we're engaged in, in, in every good deed. All the things that we do resemble how Jesus would act and respond to every situation. Right? So we're we're bearing fruit. So not only are we bearing fruit, but we're we're increasing in the knowledge of God. Look down again in verse 10. It says we're increasing in the knowledge of God. It's a the idea is a steady growth. And one of the things my, my wife loves wisteria. I like wisteria. It's a nice, pretty vine. <laughs> it's not a flower. It's a nice vine. It's be- it, we had a lot, where, where I grew up, it would, it would grow. And for any of you know wisteria, if you, don't, if you don't prune it, it grows wild. And it would grow along the roadsides. And it's just a beautiful smell. During springtime in the south, where I used to live, it, along the, the ditches on the side of the road, you'd see it along the trees. It's just beautiful, blue, blue flowers. It would smell great fragrance. But it's still a vine. And it grows uncontrollably, but it's, it has a slow and steady growth, unstopping, right? Unless you prune it. Well, that, that's the idea here. It's, it's increasing a slow, steady growth in the knowledge of God, right? 1 uh, Peter 2, 1 and 2 says that we long for the pure milk of the word that we may grow, right? The Word of God teaches us who God is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Right? What, what great measure of our walk with the Lord is this? Do we know God Himself? When I was in uh, I was in seminary, uh, Dr. MacArthur would uh, do chapels occasionally, and and he would do question and answers. And I can't even remember now what the question was. Somebody asked him like, "What does he read during the year?" And and he made kind of a throwaway comment, and uh, and I caught it, and it, it really impacted me. He said, "Every year I read Stephen Charnick's Attributes of God." Now Stephen Charnick's Attributes of God is about this thick, with about ten fonts. All right, I have it, and I've Read great portions of it. Um, there's actually an abridged version called The Pursuit of God uh, by Stephen Charnock. That's a much easier one. I recommend it. Um, but he would read this thing once a year. And I started thinking about it. You know, he wants to know God. Right? That's Paul's prayer here. Is that they would increase in their knowledge, they would, would grow in who, knowing who God is, what he's done, his works, his character. Right, as believers, as, as children of God, we should want to know the Father. Romans says that for the world, they see God's invig- invisible attributes in creation. Right? Theologians call this the, the general revelation of God. Right? If you look at Psalm 8, the psalmist says that he sees the night sky and he proclaims how majestic is your name in all the earth. Right I, I love to look at stars because it, it humbles me. It, it gives me a sense of my own insignificance. Right? We, we can see God's complexity, his beauty. Have you ever looked in a microscope and you realize that there's an irreducible complexity to, to the molecules, and then you get even smaller, and they found the, the quantum realm. It, it just gets more and more complex. The, the smaller and smaller and the smaller you go. It's evidence for a creator. Right? But Romans also says that man takes this knowledge and he suppresses the truth and unrighteousness because he, uh, John 3 says that man loves his sin. He loves the darkness and hates the light. Guys, we, we can know God. I love 1 John 5.20. It says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Do you realize we're going to be spending all eternity getting to know God? You read Revelation 19 and 20, it says that the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, is among men. Right? We no longer have to have a, a, a high priest. And a priesthood to get into the Holy of Holies. We have Jesus Christ as our High Priest. He's our anchor beneath the veil. He's our anchor in the Holy of Holies. We We can go into God's very presence through our prayers. And for all eternity we'll get to know Him. Brethren, we can know God by knowing His Word. See how Paul says, I pray that you would know God's will. Right? you know God's will because you know his character. Right? And God wants us to be sanctified because he's holy and he wants us to be holy. Just for example. So he prays that they would bear fruit in every good deed, they would increase in the knowledge of God. And he continues and he says in verse 11 that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience. So the next mark or the next way that you can demonstrate you're living a worthy walk is that you be, you're being strengthened. And by, by the way, all these are, these are passive; They're being done, done to you. So the idea is you're, you're spirit empowered. I love the way this reads in the Greek. You could say it like this. You could be empowered with all power. Or strengthened with all strength. It's the same word repeated twice. Okay? So the idea is that you have everything you need to do what God requires because He is giving you the power to do it. Right? I used to watch the original Star Trek come home from school, turn it on TV. Now, I didn't watch it live. It came in 1966. I'm not that old. It's reruns. I watched it on TV, right? get home from school, cut it on, come on at 5 o'clock. And you never forget, you know, Captain Kirk would be on the bridge and Scotty, I need more power. Captain, I've given her all she's got. Sorry, that's my best Scottish accent. I've so given her all she's got, Captain. Right, I never forget that. Guys, you've been given all that you need. There's no more power. You don't have to pray for more power. You have it. You have the indwelt Holy Spirit. He gives you all the power and strength that you need. So God is not going to require you to do something that He's not going to give you the strength and the power to accomplish. Praise the Lord, right? He not only tells you who He is and tells you what he, how He wants you to live your life, but He empowers you to do it. Right? You can say no to sin. You can say no to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life when I was teaching college ministry or student ministry, or I was in student ministry, excuse me, and Jordan can relate to this, um, one of the things that parents would ask me or people would ask me, well, don't we have to tailor our message to these young people? Now, in some sense, we do. We tailor our application to them. But young people, young adults, struggle with the same thing that adults struggle with, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, John 1, 2, right? Now, how that, how that bears out in their life is different, right, than adults. They want certain things, but we want certain things, right? of the eyes, right? Pride is born out a little different. So the same, same issue for them is the same issue for adults, Right? So God informs us of His will. He empowers us to do it. We're strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Right? Uh, Psalm 93, The Lord on high is mighty. Psalm 8, How majestic is your name in all the earth. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the mark of a worthy walk is a life empowered by God Himself. You have access to unlimited power. God reigns in you. You can't obey. You're not stuck like the unbeliever who can't say no to sin. They will always sin. Always. They may not choose the, the worst case scenario. Like that's depravity. They may not choose the worst thing. But they will always choose sin. Because they want it. They love it. John 3 says they, they hate the light because they love their sin. They love the darkness. But he says, I pray you should be strengthened. And he, very specifically, you're strengthened to attain steadfastness and patience. Now, steadfastness is endurance under difficult circumstances. So God gives us the ability to obey and glorify Him when things are tough, situations are tough, trouble at work, finances, circumstances He sovereignly allowed in your life. He then empowers you to be able to endure those things. For these believers in Colossae, they they were enduring a a, a syncretic society that said everything goes and everybody was combining different types of religious activity. They had to endure and mean steadfast in the the face of false teachers coming in the church. He said, God empowers us. Paul's prayer is that you be strengthened with all power so that you endure And then patience is long-suffering. I love the the King James, the long-suffering word for people in the face of injuries and slander. Think about guys this way and ladies this way. The early church, all the persecutions that they faced, right? Families torn apart. Husbands and wives having to watch their spouses or their kids killed before them. Martyrs that we don't even know their names that we'll meet in heaven. Atrocities they had to endure, the slanders. God gave them grace and strength to be able to bear up and endure those trials, those circumstances, and those hard people for his glory and their ultimate good. Right? So we're strengthened with all power. Right? Strengthened, and it's interesting, he said where we have all power, right? For we're, we have everything we need to live our lives, right? Philippians 4 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in that particular section of Scripture, Paul talks about the, the trials that he's faced, being hungry and, and having a lot. It kind of brings new meaning to all things, right? I can go through tough times, I can go through joyous times, because. Christ gives us the strength to persevere in circumstances and persevere with hard people. So, Paul has said, look, I want you to know God's will and how that applies to your life. I want you to live a life pleasing the Lord. And here's how I want you to do it. I want you to bear fruit in every good deed. I want you to increase in the knowledge of God. I want you to be strengthened with all power. And I want you to what? I want you to give thanks to the Father with joy, Verse 11, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light for He rescued us from the domain of darkness and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he has this, this, we have this continual attitude of thankfulness. By the way, when we talk about thankfulness, we need to, we need to clarify thankfulness, in especially in the Psalms, Read over and over about the psalmist, and he says, I give thanks to you. It's a public acknowledgement and praise of God. Right? It's not, it's not just a personal, Lord, thank you. It's, it's letting others know God's answered prayer in your life so that God, they in turn may praise God with you. It's publicly giving God the honor and glory that he deserves for what he's done. So it's a continual attitude of of thanksgiving towards God, a, a, a gratitude that is that's constantly repeated. And Paul uses this word continually in in Colossians, Colossians one three verse twelve here, uh, chapter two verse seven, chapter three verse seventeen, chapter four verse two. We're going to see this later on, but but thanksgiving is public; it's a praise to God. And you think about it this way: if you're if you're praising God for what He's done in your life then you have a proper understanding of salvation. If you've done it, why are you thanking God? If it's something you've earned and you deserve, or if it's some methodology, as the, these false teachers were, were, were saying, some methodology, that some, some act, some thing you had to do to earn God's favor, if it was you doing it, then, then where would be an attitude of thankfulness? And we're thankful specifically He's qualified us to share an inheritance of the saints in life. You think about qualification. Right? What, is it, what does it mean to be qualified? It means to make us fit. Instead, He qualified us to have a share into an inheritance. I don't believe anybody in here is Jewish. I'm a pig-eating Gentile. I like pork. I was not... And Gentiles are not qualified for a share of the inheritance apart from Jesus Christ, right? Do you realize in Christ, Ephesians 3 speaks about this, that Jews and Gentiles were brought together in one body, and now we are qualified to share in the inheritance that God had because we are, we are His people, Right? Now, we don't, get a, we don't get a stake in the land. The land promises are still to Israel for redeemed Israel in the future, and those promises will take effect during the millennial reign of Christ. But we have an inheritance which is reserved in heaven for us. It's protected by God that is undefiled, imperishable, will not fade. It's 1 Peter chapter 1. Right? He has qualified us. right? He has done it. We didn't qualify ourselves. It's not like the Olympics where you train and you do all these things and now you're qualified. You know, People qualified themselves. The idea is that God did it. He qualified us. He made us able to participate and have a share in the future inheritance that's ours in Christ for all eternity. Praise be to God. We're saints in light. He's, and then not only does He qualified us, verse 13, He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us. The idea is he's doing it simultaneously. There's only two types of kingdoms there's kingdom of God and kingdom of Satan. Satan is the God of this age. He rules this world because man, we forfeited our rightful place. You want to know what our our rightful place was? Psalm 8 is a beautiful picture of of the idea of man has dominion over this earth, but we, we forfeited that dominion. Right? And the whole world, whole creation groans. All creation is corrupt. There's chaos in creation because of our sin. But one day that will be restored through Jesus Christ. We have a new heavens and a new earth. In in America, we celebrate Thanksgiving. And uh, as I hear, you guys have done some Thanksgiving celebrations yourself. Uh, praise the Lord. I look forward to doing that with you guys here in November. Um, one of the misconceptions about Thanksgiving is, uh, even in secular America is that it's the pilgrims were thanking thinking the Indians, or the pilgrims were thanking the, the Native Americans for all the food they brought. Well, Americans had a tradition of celebrating Thanksgiving through the Puritan influence in the New England Kingdom or New England excuse me, New England states, and it was a Thanksgiving to God. In fact, Abraham Lincoln in 1863 actually made a public proclamation in which he said that the Thanksgiving Day holiday is for us to thank God for all the things He's done for us as a country, as a nation, right? And that's what Thanksgiving is about. It's, it's a public proclamation of God's gracious work on our behalf, right? He's, he's qualified us. He's, trans, he's rescued us. He picked us And the literal word here is ek. It's out of the muck. And He transferred us to His kingdom. The kingdom of His loved Son. It's like pulling my son out of a muddy pit and moving him into the dry land. Right, That's the idea. Praise be to God. That should cause you to have a a joyful Thanksgiving each and every day. You know the word grateful? Grateful? It comes from the old English word graceful or being thankful for grace? Are you grateful? Right. So this is Paul's prayer. He's praying that they would know God's will and how it applies to their life, that they would live a life worthy of that calling, pleasing Him. They would bear fruit, and that's an example by bear fruit. They would increase in the knowledge of God. They would be strengthened with all power. And they would be giving continual thanks to God the Father, with joy. At the beginning of this message, I asked you guys, do you pray? Do you pray for others like the Apostle Paul? You know, we're, we can imitate God, uh, Apostle Paul's prayer here. But are we... Being filled with the knowledge of God's will? Are we walking worthy? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Before we pray for others, we filter God's truth through our own hearts. Greek historian Eusebius tells us of James, the half-brother of Jesus, that his knees looked like camel knees because he was continually on his knees praying for his people. This prayer in Colossians is God's desire for all His people. It's not just applicable to the Colossians. It's applicable for us and every believer. God is inspired in His Word so that we may learn and we may grow. That's my prayer for you guys. It was my prayer from the very beginning that you would have a knowledge of God's will and how it applies to your life and that you would walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all things go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much. Thank you for your word. We thank you for just instruction on how to live our lives. Thank you for Paul's prayer for these believers and just the application that we can make and for our own lives and how we can pray for others that we don't know. Lord, help us to grow in the knowledge of your will. Help us to grow in our knowledge of who you are and what you've done to give You the glory that You deserve, to live a life worthy of our Lord and His sacrifice, trying to please Him in all things. Lord, I pray that we would bear fruit, that we would increase our knowledge of You, that we would be strengthened with power, that we would give thanks. Lord, how gracious You are to us, and we give You thanks now through the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.